spread love. Doom, doom, doom. Spread love. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to POV with Kristen Gilmore, where I interview interesting people that you and I are getting to know together. This podcast was created to enlighten, enrich, and inform. The basis is to spread love and extend God's grace to yourself and others. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of POV with Kristen Gilmore. I have a guest today that I'm excited to introduce you to. We are going to get to know him together for the first time. We've had one previous conversation and I just got to see him face to face because that's how I do this thing. It's over Zoom. And just for greeting's sake, you all you all may not know this, but I always get nervous in life. I guess it's the energy in me, the excitement that's awaiting. So I always like to see my guests firsthand. Really it's just to calm me and uh send them lots of love and light. This particular gentleman calmed me immediately right off of the first glance and words out of his mouth. Jose, I am so grateful to have you join us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You were recommended to me as being someone who is interesting and fascinating by one of my new friends in my life who will be here till the day the good Lord calls me home. And her name is Penelope. She raved about you being influential in her life, and that let me know that you were a person that we all needed to know. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Jose Wilson, generally known as a veteran math educator here in uh, New York City. Shout out, of course, to Washington Heights and Inwood, where I taught for 15 years of middle school mathematics, and actually where I met Penelope, of course, and she was one of my first student. I think I met her in year two of my teaching. And then I've also done any number of things, including become a student, a doctoral student at Teachers College, Columbia University, study sociology, and of course, executive director of EduColor, which is an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues. But, you know, more than anything, I guess in this world, I, I am, <laughs> I'm an out aloud proud black man. I am also a husband, father, and um, someone who really relishes trying to figure out where the connecting points are. And I think that's something that we're desperately needing here and now. And so some of the energy that I've been able to establish pre-pandemic has been very helpful through the pandemic, especially around trying to find spaces of community where they're often, it's harder to find, obviously, as we are more physically distant and seeking that social connection. So that's me. Oh, Jose, that was wonderful. I love it when a person knows who they are, what they offer, and what they're working towards. I will tell this till the day I die. Teachers are so influential. They deserve a hundred times the pay that they get for the impact that they leave on their students and others. What drew you to teach? Well, uh, teaching became a thing because... You know, over time, I had obviously a lot of great folks who talked and who paved the way for me to become a better person, not just a better student. And that's always good. And then there are those who needed a lot more assistance in terms of their pedagogy, even as the institutions kept telling them how great they were. And that's that's always a revelation for me. 
in college, I was known as someone who was very active. Some say advocate, others say activist. I was just trying to get things done right by my people. And so through Syracuse University, I was involved through, I would say, over a dozen organizations, including the Student African American Society, Asia, Caribbean Student Association. I mean, you name it, I was a part of it. One of the more proud organizations I was a part of, in addition to the ones I've just spoken about, was La Lucha, which is Latinx organization, a cultural organization that they had on campus. And so there, when I became an officer of the organization, I actually became the education chair. That person was responsible for developing the, not just the meetings and the agenda. I mean, was a de facto president at several points in time in history, but also was doing any number of lessons throughout. And so like the, the bug was kind of already in me and I thought it might happen. And I said, okay, well, I majoring in computer science. That's going to be the thing, right? That I really want to do. And I had been thought, I thought about it since I was in, in middle school, but somewhere in the back of my mind was always this idea that I could teach. And at some point it became obvious, not just through like international trends where jobs were moving outside of the United States when it came to my field, but also just in, intrinsically, I just didn't feel like I wanted to sit in the back of a corner office coding all day. And so teaching became the thing that I wanted to do. It took a little while. I applied for a couple of different programs. I was unemployed for about six months, took some data entry slash transcription job that paid less than a high school senior would have gotten at that time. But I I, just need, I needed the money. I was like, I'm going to hustle. And that's what I ended up doing. And then eventually I got into the teaching funnels program, which allowed me the 15 years of teaching that I got. So long story short, I mean, yes, some of it was economical, but most of it was really intrinsic. And of course, that was also understanding too that mathematics specifically, for me anyway, was a lever for equitable outcomes for our students. Too often, that first year of high school, math especially, was a determinant in my mind for whether or not a student was going to continue into high school and college or they were going to drop out at that moment in time. Uh, so rather than try to go into high school math, I actually said, if I just help give the foundation through middle school math, then they'll probably do really, really awesome. Uh, at least having somebody like me who has taken Calc 1, 2, and 3, plus a bunch of different like higher order maths, get them in the classroom and let's see what we can do. And a thousand plus students later, that just became one of the blessings that I've received. You know, I'm so, oh, I mean, this, <laughs> I'm speechless. I am so grateful that you are a doer, a go-getter, concerned about those who are to come behind you and making sure that they have a solid foundation. What in your life motivated you to be so active? Was there a moment where you felt like you had something missing and you acknowledged it and you were like, well, let me be the change to fill in that gap? I mean, it's it's hard to say. There were multiple points. I think I was I was blessed in that, like, I did have an alignment with our school system in terms of how I behave, but also my own intellect and me wanting to have that thirst for knowledge over time. I've also had some seeds planted in me over time. I was blessed to be part of the boys in the boys club 
um, on the Lower East Side back when it was just all boys. Uh, and th- there was, uh, there were a couple of folks who in that space had actually sat, sat us down over cookies and juice, which is, of course, that's the way you attract people like this to watch Eyes on the Prize where, you know, I hadn't known about the, the history of the civil rights movement because our schools weren't teaching it in a profound way. Still, no disrespect to the teachers who I had, but that's just what it was. And so, Boys Club was a space for me to get that self determination where else I did not have it. So, those were that was some element. And of course, in middle school too, we also had a lot of uh, leadership development and, and character development in addition to the academics. So, a lot of this was just kind of stacking up. On top of that, too, you know, not having uh, my father present, if I saw him maybe once a year, that that's probably generous. And my stepfather wasn't all that great either. So over time, I just, you know, as a child, I was like, okay, so <laughs> I'm going to have to just imagine this father figure out there somewhere, or I'm going to have to do something with all this stuff that I have within me. And sure enough, I chose the latter. But, you know, it, it's still an evolving process, right? There are times when I can remember that people would say, well, you know, you're intellectually gifted, but, you know, you're just naturally lazy. I'm like, that's that's a weird thing to say. Like in retrospect, as I'm thinking about it, like that's a weird thing to say to a black child, right? And knowing full well all the histories that I had to like endure just to get to that moment when that person said it, and that was supposed to be somebody who we were su- was supposed to mentor us in our ways, right? And I was like, oh, I see it now. So I started getting a lot of hints as to how the world perceived us, even even folks who you know, are supposed to like look like us and, you know, be in partnership with us and be in our community sometimes have a hard time really taking a step back and being humble and asking better questions and deeper questions. And so for me, like teaching just became a thing where I was able to pass something better and pass that forward. Like I imagine myself to be the teacher who I wish I had, the mentor I wish I had. However, imperfectly, mind you, because of course, like I didn't think I, I was like the best teacher for 1000 plus of those students, surely, but I think I did a pretty good job with the vast majority of them. And I tried to do it from an angle that suggested that we can do this schooling thing a whole lot different. You know, and of course, I also had various opportunities out there too, to like share this knowledge, share this wisdom, pass it on to other people to make sure that it wasn't just me. Because what we know, too, is that you can't just have one classroom out of a seven and say, that's the one place where everybody feels safe. It's like, I want my kids to feel safe in every single period, everywhere they go, regardless. And because they might be in different classrooms than mine. And so it shouldn't, it's, it's wholly unfair to just rest all the educational hopes on just one person. Like We got to uh, pass that message on to as many people as possible to change what schooling looks like. And so. I became that advocate as well through any number of things, including blogging, including writing, including the speaking engagements that I do. And so I, I, I've used the better part of my f- so-called free time to try to help others get free in this way. So there, like that, that's been my work. That is so powerful. That is so impactful. You are going to break so many chains by what you do and how you view these children because you weren't viewed 
as you should have been. One of the most powerful things you said was someone, that person who told you you were intellectually intelligent, but lazy. And like you said, they weren't asking the right questions. They weren't asking deep questions to know where you were coming from or what or why. I'm excited to see, you said you're a father. Oh my gosh, I think you're about to create the next leader of the free world because you seem like you're a person who pours into people. And not only that, like you said, you want to take everybody with you. You don't want your classroom to be the only place that people feel safe. You want Mm. to encourage others to do the same. And, oh gosh, I'm I'm excited to know you. Now I understand why you were so impactful. It's important to me when I see black men lead because unfortunately to a lot of people that is a dangerous thing yeah and to me it's one of the most powerful things because you can lead anybody and everybody especially with a good head on your shoulders what tools did you because you said this did you create imagine envision that you would be when you had children while you were missing your own dad i mean okay well it it's interesting too that you mentioned that too because so much of the learning that i had to do necessarily came from black and brown women i mean starting from my own mom who you know she's dominican but of course you know she's a black woman who's coming from dominican republic and uh, however imperfectly you know she got me to the point where i was able to go to college and you know, get my master's and now going for my doctorate. So, of course, you know, all praises do. But, you know, over time, too, like even through my activism, I saw just a plethora of examples where, you know, yes, like there were black men who were getting credit within movement, but it was black women who were doing so much of the grunt work. Like, and if you want a successful movement at any moment in time, you're not going to ask the person who's in the front talking. You're going to ask the person uh, in the front who is building relationships and doing the cooking with folks and getting into the weeds with folks. And those nine out of 10 times ended up being so much of the black women who were at the, at the front of the civil rights movement. Um, tacticians, mind you, quietly, and but uh, affirmatively. And so, you know, I, I'm always trying to be thoughtful about how we engage as many people as possible and not necessarily take up too much space, even though I am a big guy, I recognize that as well. There's also something too about like not having something and then saying what what's missing, and then transforming that into if that's a deficit, then what am I going to add to the world? And so for me, I just found that being as attuned as possible to my spirituality, um, working towards that was important making sure that I like found ways to pour into as many people as possible, learning how to be as patient with people when they don't show their fullest selves, even folks who we, we profess that we love. That that ends up being a thing as, you know, maybe our older generations get a little bit older and become um less restrained in, in their, you know, social selves. And of course, being a teacher, I've seen all sorts of behaviors when it comes to my students. Like they, they, you may have 30 students in the classroom, but if you're in a middle school classroom, you know full well that it's either 30 students or you got 60 students because each student has maybe like two, three personalities, right? And 
you don't know who you're going to get on any given day, any given time period. Something could have happened and you still have to learn how to be empathetic. You have to learn how to like be patient and you also have to learn how to be firm in the expectations you want, surely, but also try to be as human as possible. And so teaching gave so much to me, probably even more so than I gave to it. And I gave a lot to this profession. Just being able to sit down and say, you know what, like a lot of this is not necessarily their fault, but it is our collective responsibility to try and do something and try to figure it out. And I, I think that that's where a lot of folks who are in like black communities, I would specifically say even Caribbean communities too, like we have to put in the work to, and this it's not to say like we exhaust ourselves, but it is to say like we are trying to create something new. In, in the face of all the things that have been stolen and robbed from us. And so that's kind of where my spirituality originates. It's a bunch of like folks who said, we're going to fight for this because we want to build something different. And whoever the next person is gets to have the wealth of resources from the things that we built with our hands where there was nothing for us beforehand. That's good stuff. That's really great stuff. That's wonderful. When you described yourself, you described yourself as a husband and a father. What about those two jobs brings you your greatest joy? You know, what I often find is that a lot of people worry about so much of what's happening out there in the world. And that that's fine. And that's good. And that's necessary. Sometimes we can make the smallest things into things that are just huge. and that happens since our childhood. Like, you know, you think about memories like, oh, we broke that favorite pencil of ours and that just became the worst thing that ever happened, even though like there's a million other pencils like it, like that one specific favorite pencil, like it broke our spirit when we broke that pencil. <laughs> and then, or if we lost it or somebody robbed it from us and it almost felt like, you know, there's that hole that's been missing, right? When we become adults, you know, those things become more complicated. Like, that bill that doesn't seem like it's ever going to go down to zero or uh, th- those relationships in our jobs that feel like you're consistently having to negotiate yourself as you're negotiating your salary or, you know, even those transactions that you have to and from work. I found that having people at home that I centered changed the dynamic for me with everything. There were times when I used to spend one or two hours talking about everything that was happening at school. Once I, you know, really centered my family, that went from one to two hours to maybe 15, 20 minutes. And maybe every so often, like, I'll I'll make an offshoot comment somewhere else, but I spend way less time talking about them, more time talking about, like, the family. There were even little conflicts and battles that, like, I thought were super petty. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to ruin my life. And I'm like, no, what's ruining my life is me being distracted by everything that's out there and not centering what's in here. As long as everything in here is fine, then all the other stuff is going to take care of itself and everything can be whatever it is out there. But if my home is not good, then I am not good. Um, if my food doesn't taste good at home, then what am I doing? <laughs> if I'm not having, you know, at least one or two square meals with my family and enjoying that time. If we're not praying together, if we're not, you know, working towards something, I mean, 
And of course, you know, like this is what capital does, right? Like we're consistently having to think about all these other things that are out there and not being, just having to survive is such a critical part to living here. But at some point I said, okay, I'm going to work to live, not live to work. And all the retirees who I'd ever seen go through Department of Education would say that. They'd be like, oh, like once I retire, it's going to be great. And then like you'd see them maybe a couple months later and they look like they've aged backward, like five, six years because they're not as stressed anymore. They're waking up whenever they want, so on and so forth. I'm like, that's a nice life. But I I don't want to have to wait till I retire to get the life that I want. And so oftentimes as I'm working, I'm like, okay, excuse me, I'm going to bust my butt today. but once I get that done, then I'm going to center my family and we're just going to tune everything else out in the world and just focus on us right here, right now. And so that became a lesson for me as a husband and father, just thinking about how I can, you know, be the best person and the most present person possible. Um, and the times that I can't be present, I'm going to go hard so that way I can get those things done so I can actually get that life. Like I need that life and they, they give me that life. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear you say that you know now, like you said, I wrote it down, you want to work to live and not live to work because you're right. Retirement, everybody doesn't make it. You know, some people are waiting for mm-hmm. after I retire, I'm going to buy that house or I'm going to get that jet. Who said that you are guaranteed to live to see that and be in your health that you're in right now? Mm-hmm. It's not guaranteed. And you're right. Right now is seize the moment, be in the present share your gifts. Speaking of sharing gifts, can you tell us how people can get to know more about you and your gifts and your talent? Well, it's a blessing. Um, you can you can find me on any search engine you wish. Generally, I tell people to go to thejosevilson.com. That is my website, T-H-E-J-O-S-E-V-I-L-S-O-N.com. Or on Instagram, same thing, T-H-E. J O S E V I L S O N. And of course, if you're Twitter, then that's the JLV. Facebook, also the JLV. So that's where you can find me. I'm hyperactive and very responsive on all those platforms. Do you ever do motivational speaking? Because I just feel like that's something you would just shine at. I've done, I've done some things, and there's going to be more announcements coming in the next few months about like what my platform <laughs> is going to transform into this year. But needless to say, all blessings. I see nothing but blessings all on you. And I'm going to pray those with you and I'm going to wish them with you because you don't know this, but I'm a Jesus girl, like on my knees, walking down the street at any given time or moment. I know that he shows up. He works hard and he loves every single one of his children Hmm. with greatness. One last question for you. If there was one thing you'd want people to take away from meeting you, what would that be? Oof. I mean, that's, that's tough. I think, I guess for me, I'm learning that I added something. That That's what it is. I contributed something. Like, legacy doesn't necessarily mean that, like, everyone knows exactly that what my name was and this and the third. But I want to feel like I contributed and I poured something into somebody and that I had a sizable effect on whatever that is. Whether it be like that day, that week, that year, so on and so forth. Like I want to feel like folks are better for having met me than not. That 
That's powerful. And you know what? I feel like I'm better for meeting you myself. Mr. Jose Vilson, I give you this. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, King. Thank you, sir. Thank you for giving women their props. Thank you for knowing that your mother was a silent warrior who was pouring into you, a man who was going to pour into so many. Thank you for laying such great foundation into children so they can speak your name and want you to have your flowers while you live. Thank you for setting up a foundation and giving people words, encouragement, confidence to stand proud and tall in who they are and what they are for this world. Thank you for leading others to love who they are and be blessed just by your doing. There's a lot of people who you've touched that you may not hear a thank you from, but I know in my heart that you're not even doing it for that. And that is commendable. And you deserve all the accolades for that. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, family. Y'all, this man is, he is showing us how to be our best selves. He's showing us how to stand in our glory, how to aim for more, how to set ourselves up to win all in his doing. Let's not let the efforts of this king go to waste. Be motivated, be strong, be powerful, and serve those around you so you can see that you were made to touch others. Thank you for joining us today. I'll catch you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of POV with Kristen Gilmore. See you next time. Bye. Ha. Ooh. Ha.